Listen, this is not for you. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was the ultimate country music outlaw. And somehow, it's taken us six years to record an episode on this Texas legend. This week, we talk about the one, the only, Waylon Jennings. But first, what's your favorite Willie Nelson duet, trio, etc.? What's your favorite Willie Nelson thing? Uh, well, mine is actually apropos of today's episode. It's The Road Goes On Forever with The High Women, and this was a country music supergroup consisting of four of the greatest songwriters ever, Willie, Waylon, Chris Christopherson, and Johnny Cash. Mm. And they are singing what might be the greatest country song ever written uh, by a Texas troubadour named Robert Earl Keane. Love that song. Love their performance of it. It's fantastic. Okay, okay but here's a problem I have, <clears throat> and take this with a grain of salt. Some people think that the double chocolate cake with the molten chocolate inside and then you have extra chocolate icing on the side <laughs> and then a chocolate dip, that's too much chocolate. It's just, nah. it's too much, no. it's just too rich. No. I think that's too rich for most people. Maybe somebody I will not have simple. you. I will not have you badmouth the greatest supergroup ever. <laughs> I'm not badmouthing or the supergroup. I'm just saying, cake. you really, you really, it's, that's a rich dessert. It is rich, yes. but it's wonderful. Yes. Um, now, Willie, of course, has recorded many songs with many people, um, but one of my favorites is uh, more recent, and it was a duet that he did with Pat Green on one of Pat Green's albums, uh, Gypsy Soul. Um, it's a fun little song, very, um, I guess, modern by some uh, measure. But uh, I really enjoy it. I mean, I can't argue with that. That's a great, great yep. song. Yep. Uh, you know what? I I really like that Ray Price, Willie Nelson album. I know we've talked about the great Ray Price. And, and the two of them, in their senior years, recorded uh, a duets album of all these classic songs. And did them old school, twin fiddles, all the goodness. And uh, there's a song on there called Deep Water. And it's just chef's kiss not too sweet not too much no gimmicks it's just old school and beautiful for mm. a price <laughs> waylon jennings was born on june 15th 1937 on a farm near the tiny panhandle town of littlefield texas his birth certificate lists his first name as wayland which his parents intended to be land by the highway his mother changed it to Wayland after a Baptist preacher congratulated his mother for naming him after Wayland Baptist University in Plainview, Texas. Years <laughs> later, Jennings talked about his name in his autobiography, saying, quote, I didn't like Wayland. It sounded corny and hillbilly, but it's been good to me, and I'm pretty well at peace with it right now. Wait, Jennings' father worked for several years as a farmer laborer, and they eventually moved into Littlefield itself to establish a creamery. When Jennings was eight years old, his mother taught him to play the song 30 Pieces of Silver on a little guitar. Over time, he practiced with his relatives' guitars until his mother finally bought him one of his own. Jennings' early influences were Western swing and honky-tonk artists like Bob Wills, Floyd Tillman, Ernest Tubb, Carl Smith, as well as bluegrass and what they called at the time hillbilly music. 
As a teenager, he was influenced by country, the blues, and early rock and roll artists. They were all on radio broadcasts that he heard from local radio stations on the Border Blaster radio stations just across the Mexico border and on national syndicated broadcasts like the Grand Old Opry. Jennings initially began singing and playing guitar for family gatherings and later moved on to performing at youth centers and regional civic clubs. When he was 12, Jennings auditioned for a spot on the local radio, and the owners liked his style. They hired him for a weekly 30-minute program, recording him for the first time. Jennings formed his own band made up of friends and acquaintances, which was called the Texas Longhorns. Waylon Jennings dropped out of school at 16, having been talked into it by the school superintendent. He went on to work at his dad's store. That's a win for education. I know. Listen, this is not for you, but other people, sure, but you, not so much. So as he the went, fellow son of a, as the fellow son of a superintendent, can you? I can't imagine my can't father. Can't even imagine either of our dads saying, "Listen, you know, no, it's not, it's not working out." There's a different time. Yeah. Hashtag different time. So he went on, he worked at his dad's store, he took odd jobs, but in his heart, he felt like music was the career he wanted. Soon, Jennings and the Texas Longhorns recorded a demo of the songs Stranger in My Home and There'll Be a New Day at KFYL Radio in nearby Lubbock. In between day jobs and radio gigs, Jennings met a rising Lubbock rock musician at a restaurant. He and Buddy Holly became fast friends, and they regularly began performing together at shows and radio gigs. Jennings would also become a regular at Holly's Sunday radio show on country station KDAV. In 1956, Jennings moved to Lubbock full-time to work as a DJ for $50 a week, and this was in addition to his performing gigs on the station. Jennings had an evening shift from 4 to 10, and he played two hours of country classics, two hours of current country, and the final two hours were a variety of songs. The last two hours ended up getting him in trouble, though, as he played rock and blues artists such as Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Whenever he played songs by these artists, he got chewed out by the boss. Then when Jennings played two Little Richard songs in a row, the manager came in and fired him on air. Fortunately, Jennings had made friends with another local DJ named Sky Corbin. Corbin was impressed with Jennings' voice, and he invited him to work at KLVT in Leveland, another panhandle town where Corbin worked. In 1958, the Corbin family purchased another station in Lubbock, KLLL, and changed the format to country, becoming the main competition to KDAV. Sky became the station manager and hired Jennings as the station's first DJ. In addition to spinning wax, which was also included, which also included rock and roll, Jennings produced commercials and created jingles and made appearances at local concerts, dances, and showcases. Jennings also performed at these events. During one such performance, Buddy Holly's father spoke to Corbin and mentioned that Buddy was interested in beginning to produce new artists himself. Corbin recommended Jennings. When Buddy Holly got back from a tour of England, he visited KLLL and offered to produce Jennings' next recording. Holly took Jennings as his first artist and worked with him on improving his image. They held their first session in Clovis, New Mexico in September of 1958, recording the Cajun classic Jolie Blonde and the rockabilly When the Sin Stops, Love Begins. Buddy then asked Jennings to play electric bass for him during his winter dance party tour set to begin after the new year through the Midwest. 
Of course, we talked about the difficulties associated with this infamous tour and its tragic ending in a previous episode. On February 3, 1959, Jennings gave up his seat on a small plane Holly had chartered to take himself, guitar player Tommy Alsop, and Waylon Jennings to the next gig rather than deal with another long ride in a tour bus with no heater. Alsop lost a coin toss with singer Richie Valens for a seat on the plane, and Jennings voluntarily gave up his seat to the big bopper who had the flu. Famously, when Buddy learned that Jennings and Alsop had given up their seats, he jokingly told Jennings, Well, I hope your old bus freezes up. Jennings replied, well, I hope your old plane crashes. Jennings said that he'd carry the weight of those words for the rest of his life, and he later admitted that his survivor's guilt played a major part in his subsequent substance abuse problems. When the news of the crash hit nationwide the next day, Jennings' family and friends heard on the radio that Buddy Holly and his band had been killed, so he had to actually make several calls back home to assure his people that he was okay. The General Artists Corporation offered to pay for first-class tickets for Jennings and the band to attend Buddy Holly's funeral in Lubbock, but amazingly, they wanted them to continue the tour without Holly. Jennings and Alsop continued the tour for two more weeks, which featured Jennings as the lead singer. They were paid less than half of the agreed salary, and they were actually not reimbursed for the plane tickets. When he got back to New York, Jennings put Buddy Holly's guitar and his amp in a locker in Grand Central Station, and then he sent the keys to Buddy's young widow, and then we went back to Lubbock. After the tour, Jennings returned to KLLL, but his depression over Holly's death caused his performance at the station to worsen. He left the station and bounced around between Arizona and Texas, helping his wife Maxine with her father's illness and working in various radio stations. He eventually settled down in Phoenix, getting another radio gig, and formed a new band to play at movie theaters and bars. He impressed a local club owner named James, Jimmy D. Musil, who was building a custom nightclub called JD's in nearby Scottsdale. Musil hired Jennings to be his main performer and designed the club around his act. Very quickly, Jennings had his band, the Whalers, build a strong local fan base centered around a rocking form of country that combined honky-tonk with boogie-woogie. By 1961, Jennings' electric performances at J.D.'s had caught the eye of the music industry. He initially signed a recording contract with Trend Records, but then went on to be signed by the newly formed A&M Records in 1963. This contract granted him 5% of record sales, and he had a few singles released. He wasn't particularly successful because A&M was mostly releasing folk and rock records and had little experience with country. He did have local success with a live album recorded at J.D.'s, and a few songs, including just to satisfy you, which were being played on local country radio thanks to his friends in the DJ community there. Country singer Bobby Bear heard Jennings just to satisfy you on his car radio while passing through Phoenix and stopped in at JD's to hear Jennings play. He called Chet Atkins, head of the RCA Studios in Nashville and greatest guitar player ever, and told Atkins, hey, you need to sign Jennings. Waylon was offered a contract with RCA, but he was unsure if he should quit his gig at JD's. He asked Willie Nelson, who was a friend from Texas, who was also under contract with RCA, what he should do. Willie and Waylon met, and they discussed Jennings' career and the profits that he was making in the club. Nelson told Jennings he should remain in Phoenix and not move to Nashville. He told him, quote, they'll only break your heart. Jennings decided to accept the RCA offer anyway and was able to secure his release from his A&M contract. Atkins formally signed Jennings to RCA Victor in 1965. And Waylon moved to Nashville, and he immediately hit the country charts with the appropriately titled, That's the Chance I'll Have to Take. 
Over the next few years, Jennings had some modest success, including re-releasing his song, Just to Satisfy You. He performed on the Grand Ole Opry and even won a Grammy for his collaboration with the Kimberleys on the single MacArthur Park in 1963. Jennings also rented an apartment in Nashville with singer Johnny Cash, since they shared a manager. The tours booked by their management were badly organized, however, and over time ended up costing both men quite a bit of money. At one point, Jennings spent 300 days straight on the road and ended up deeper in debt than when he'd started. He and Cash also nursed ever-increasing addiction to amphetamines and alcohol during this time period. Jennings found himself more and more frustrated at RCA and Atkins, trying to fit him into the Nashville mold, just as Willie Nelson had predicted. Jennings' biggest frustration was that what he was making in the studio ended up sounding nothing like the sound of his live shows. His band, The Whalers, were not allowed in the studio, and instead he had to work with the Nashville session musicians. He couldn't even play his own guitar. Quote, They wouldn't let you do anything. You had to dress a certain way. You had to do everything a certain way. They kept trying to destroy me. I just went about my business and did things my way. You start messing with my music, I get mean. I'm just going to say, Willie told you so. They're going to break your heart. Yeah. Well, in 1972, Waylon had enough. He had hit songs in that year, Good Hearted Woman and Ladies Love Outlaws, and in both songs, he'd push back against the heavy production in the Nashville sound. The public wanted something different. At around the same time, Willie Nelson left Nashville, and he saw a sudden success with a raw, easier, st- with a raw, easier sound back in Texas. Johnny Cash reinvented himself. Johnny Cash at this time reinvented himself as an iconoclastic rebel who embraced country, gospel, folk, rock, and the blues. Jennings himself was sick with hepatitis, and he wasn't sleeping due to his heavy use of speed. He was ready to just walk away from music when his contract with RCA expired. He later recalled, quote, lying there, I started thinking about what I'd won after 10 years of banging around the honky-tonks. My health was shot. I was close to a quarter of a million dollars in debt and getting deeper in the hole whether I played shows or not. The IRS was on my to- the IRS was on my tail and I was paying alimony to three wives. If I went on the road, I lost money. If I stayed home, I lost more. As for record sales, I never got ahead of the packaging fees, the overseas split, the studio costs. You couldn't figure out who owed what or why. Jennings approached RCA for an advance on his royalties and Chet Atkins offered him $5,000, which was less than what he'd asked for, if he'd only sign the same deal that he had signed in 1965. That was the last straw for Jennings. He was just going to quit. Brains convinced him to keep trying, however. He fired his manager and hired a lawyer named Neil Reshen, who'd represented Miles Davis and Frank Zappa. Willie Nelson later said, These were the days when Waylon was still in the clutches of RCA management, that demanded he sing certain songs a certain way. Neil put a stop to that. He backed down the establishment. Reshen negotiated a new contract with RCA that gave Jennings complete artistic freedom over producing, recording, and selection of material and the cover art of his albums for himself and for his then-wife, Jessie Coulter. Reshen also encouraged Jennings to grow out his hair and stop dressing like a, quote, Nashville star. The first album that Jennings released under his new contract was Lonesome, Henri, and Mean, and it featured songs by Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christopherson, as well as a perennial concert staple, Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues. 
It earned rave reviews and hit number eight on the Billboard charts. Its raw sound and simplicity put Nashville on notice that said, hey, he didn't need them. They need him. His next album, Honky Tonk Heroes, attracted the attention of mainstream music. This also marked the period when he began recording in a studio built into a beat-up old house in Nashville owned by his friend, musician Tom Paul Glazier, which was known as Hillbilly Central. Thanks to these recordings and those of Willie Nelson and others who rejected the Nashville system, but mostly Willie Nelson, Outlaw Country was born. So next week, join us as we continue our look into the remarkable life and career of the one, the only, Waylon Jennings. Uh, but first, let's talk about the first half of his life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he 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 really kicked and scrabbled for a long time to get where he was. Uh, but it's pretty remarkable. We talked about this several years ago when we talked about Buddy Holly. He was on. He was going to be on that airplane, and and he just didn't. He 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 flipped a coin. It was a it was a fifty fifty chance that he was going to get on that airplane. Which is remarkable. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's one of those um, historic moments that, um, you know, changed by pure chance. Yeah. And that would have been a never been. You know, that would have been, think about all the music that we would have missed out on. Or gained. Or gained. Both. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those tragic pivot points. Yeah. I, I just enjoy. I also enjoy hearing about all those old uh, Lubbock radio stations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic. Can you imagine being, you know, you know, nineteen sixty, uh, nineteen fifty-eight, nineteen sixty. You know, hearing uh, Waylon Jennings. I remember that guy, Waylon Jennings. He was a DJ when I was going to <laughs> Texas Tech. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, just the fact that Lubbock had two, three, or more radio stations. I guess there were, there's more diversity back in those days than there is now. Yeah, some stations played country and western. Nice. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, well, yeah. I meant diversity in call letters, if oh, not yeah, yeah. musical styles. Okay, I got it, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I've actually seen footage of uh, some footage of and pictures of the JD's Club in Arizona. Uh, it was a pretty cool looking. It was more like a. It actually the pictures that I've seen it looks a lot like the diner in Pulp Fiction. It's that type of big central. You know, there's tables and stuff against the wall, and then there's a big bar, and then there's the stage, and it was really built around. Uh, it was built around Jennings and and fo- showcasing his music, and he had a piece. He had a percentage of the house uh, as the as the star attraction. So he's making a lot of money, uh, but he he was yearn, yearning for bigger things, and it seems like Nashville was a siren call for a lot of folks, Willie included. Can I just say that I think "Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues" may be one of the best songs ever written? You can. And okay, I think I just did. <laughs> I I don't necessarily disagree with that statement. I mean, it's it's a it's a fantastic song. I mean, "Good-Hearted Woman" is right there too. There's there's just these God, you just go. Where does this magic come from? It comes. It doesn't come from Little Phil, Texas. There's nothing in the water there. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing is, so Jolie Blonde is one of the most covered songs in American history. 
Yeah, but he, um, didn't, he didn't write that one though, did he? No, he did not write. No, that was that was a that was a classic from the uh, the turn of the century. But uh, it's a it's a Cajun song. Um, but I mean, every many people have have recorded it up to Bruce Springsteen has a version of it. So uh, that's one of those classics. But uh, yeah, "Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues" is a is a fantastic fantastic song. But we're gonna get into some better songs coming up. I. Th- that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. Bah, you can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. Hey, you love Texas, you love music, you love our show. So help us out, tell your friends, and go leave a review on iTunes and make them leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if... Oh, wait. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Uh, we hope you'll join us next time and remember... <laughs> We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.